Hi, everybody. It's Jessica. You know, here at More or Less, we love entrepreneurship. We love talking about it. We love analyzing it, pining on it. So I wanted to bring you all a very special conversation I had at the Information's WTF Summit last month. It was a fireside with Sarah and Erin Foster. Now, Sarah and Erin are the founders of the Favorite Daughter clothing brand. They have a fast-growing podcast, a talked-about venture fund, and they also kind of found their way to entrepreneurship uh, through a non-traditional path. They were actresses and comedy writers and reality stars. And I found the conversation with them about how they started these businesses and what it's been like coming from an unusual, non-traditional background in tech to, to the field and figuring out everything about marketing and sales and, and how to do that in an authentic way that I think is really having success in this moment. So it's a fun listen. There's a lot of banter between the sisters, a little bit with me, and I hope you enjoy. Starting with like the really important leaders, but yes. we are really happy to be here. <laughs> we are we're openers. We're you, you, go, you have to let me. I know okay, that you sorry. guys like talking on your podcast. Yeah. No, you gotta <laughs> let yeah. me no. tee up. Okay. Why I asked you guys here and why right. I wanted to kick off. So um, let me introduce Aaron and Sarah Foster. Uh, among uh, um, you guys are hard people to introduce because you do many different things. So to give you a sense, you start and run the very profitable retail business favorite daughter, which is awesome and was what I arrived in today, I must say. No. Um, you guys are venture capitalists. You are uh, Hollywood writers. You've got Disney production deals, Netflix deals. Uh, you've been creator, creative directors at Bumble. Um, so you've got a toe in Techland as well. Um, and I think also just really important voices for women uh, in media at this moment as well. So um, encourage you guys uh, to, I'm sure many people listen to their podcast, but is one of my not so guilty pleasures because it's not a guilty pleasure because I get so much out of it. So what I was hoping we could talk a little bit about is maybe start by how you guys kind of view this empire you're building. What are you hoping to achieve and how do you think about the pieces kind of coming together? Well, I think that when you list all those things, it's so interesting because I think what makes us um, <clears throat> different in this space is that we're sort of like the unlikely people to succeed in these areas. And I think for a long time, we saw that as something to be ashamed of or embarrassed by, something that we had to overcome. And instead, we decided to really embrace someone who maybe didn't expect that from us. It turns out being underestimated is a real superpower. Yeah. You know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. It's fuel. Like, it really is fuel. Well, Sarah's people... um, motivated by revenge. So that <laughs> really gets her going. Um, so that really, really gives her engine a roar. Okay. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. So that, so unlikely kind of entrepreneurs. Yeah. Give us a little more, like, give us more of the backstory, maybe around favorite daughter and then the well, podcast. Well, I think a lot of people, I don't want to speak for Aaron because Please I get don't. in trouble when I do that. <laughs> but I think a lot of people maybe in this room or people that we respect or look up to were very clear, very intentional about the path, right? Very clear about this is where, this is where I want to get and I'm going to do A, B, C, and D to get there. And I respect those people so much. I, I look at those people and I was never that person. 
um, things didn't really start changing for me until I started really putting myself out there and saying yes, saying yes to things that I thought were maybe below me or saying yes to things that I had no idea where it was going to take me. That is really when my life started changing, saying yes to things that were not at all in line with anything I even thought would be, um, you know, impactful. Mm -hmm. So why start reach? Why we'll go through kind of the empire a little bit, but tell us about retail. I mean, it's a pretty tough it's business. A, yeah. And we honestly didn't know how tough until we started okay. it. And so um, we're kind of in too deep now. Um, but <laughs> I would say that it's... All the time, Erin's like, oh, we're just going to... I, I want to be a mom. Like, I'm really ready to be a mom yeah, I'm here. just trying to, like, look for, like, passive income. And, um, <laughs> and this is just, like, really Direct active. Direct consumer income. retail in 2023. Definition yeah, of passive like income. Yeah, you really can't be passive with the things that we're doing. Um, so... It, I would really say that, like, it, the favorite daughter is one sort of unexpected piece on our on our path. And, um, you know, we started out as I was a writer, comedy writer. Sarah was an actress, and we, we ended up doing a show together. It was the first time we'd ever been um, in that position together, and it sort of clicked something for us. So we had gone and tried to sell our show to Comedy Central, and they said that they wouldn't even take a meeting with us. And then we sold it somewhere well, else. Well, no, no. They said, we we have no intention of buying their show, but we would totally love to take a meeting with two hot chicks. That is oh. true. That's actually what wow. they said. They said, but we're not going to buy their show. We could probably get that person canceled now. Oh, yeah, we probably could. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, it sort of put us on this trajectory of using rejection and finding a way to, like, work around it. And yeah. so um, then we ended up doing our show together. We had never worked together before. And it started us on this interesting interesting path that sort of took us in a lot of different directions. And I would say that Bumble was really the first big like left turn that was super unexpected for us that when the opportunity presented itself, we were confused why we were even having the opportunity and we're scared to, can I cuss? Yes. Okay, great. We were really scared to fuck it up and um, we did it. We took the job anyway and we didn't fuck it up and it gave us confidence and it taught us that there are things you can do that weren't even on your like dream board or on your wish list. There's something totally separate that you didn't think you were good at and Favorite Daughter is sort of another example of that because an opportunity came to us to start this brand and we had not set out or intended to be in fashion, but when an opportunity presents itself, I really think that you sometimes well, I think have you to need say, to back it up a little. Oh, I was talking. Are you about to say something really deep? Because I'm sorry, <laughs> but I, I think you have to back it up because it didn't just, I, I, I think there is a through line here. And I think that we started doing things where, to be clear, by the way, everybody in our life said to us, you should not do that show on VH1. VH1 is a terrible network. You're not going to be taken seriously as actresses. You should not do it. We're like, really? Well, I, I think we're going to do it. And because of that is how we met Whitney Wolfhard. Because of that show, Whitney Wolfhard was like, all the girls in my office loved Barely Famous. We want to pay you to come speak on this panel. And from there, that opportunity came. Then the opportunity from Favorite Daughter, it, that was really stemmed because a company had come to us saying, you guys are really funny. I think that your, 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 your sense of humor from aligns. From comedy to retail, again, I don't so, okay, so, okay. so, no, but listen, so the company, it was okay. a company called Suburban Right. Remember when Beyonce wore that kale shirt? like Yale, <laughs> and it was massive. So it was that company. They came to us and I said, see. would you guys ever want to just do uh, T-shirts and sweatshirts, right? This, this is low-brow like stuff. Like to write, I'm going to speed this up for us. Okay. Um, to, <laughs> to write. 
I'm going to get a drink. You know, no, to write funny like yeah. sayings on T-shirts. Yeah. Anyway, we ended up, one of the sayings that we put on um, was favorite daughter. That one ended up outselling the kale sweatshirt, which we just didn't expect that to happen. It was honestly Sarah's idea. I told her it was really cheesy. I was wrong. <laughs> it did well. And so then we had an opportunity to start a brand around this one T-shirt that had done well. And really the message here, because like I don't need to take you down every single path of this, is that we said yes to things that we didn't fully know what, what it was going to turn into. And one thing that I never understand in tech, and everyone on here will, will probably disagree with me or maybe agree with me, is that when you start a business, you're supposed to tell your potential investors exactly who your customer is before your product exists. And I think that is so insane because <laughs> you can guess or you can hope, I want the you know young moms to be excited about right. this product, but you have no fucking clue. And like you'll take whoever is attracted to your product. And so for us, when we started Favorite Daughter, they said like, who's your girl? And we're just like making things up, you know? Like I don't, she's like just graduated college <laughs> and she's like going through a breakup and she wants to buy her first blazer to like show her ex-boyfriend. You know, how Aaron really was saying that. Aaron was like, we need to cater to yeah, that. And they exactly. were just like eating it up. And I was like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> so I think we just dove into something and we were totally scared of failing. Mm. Of course we were. At every turn, you never want I was a little more scared of failing than you. Sarah has a bigger I'm, fear of rejection. My, my yeah, my self-worth is like here. Yours is yours is much. I have a healthy ego. I'll, you have a healthy. <laughs> anyway, that's it. That's where we're at now. And, and, and so, where do you want to take the brand? I think the idea is for it to become a real lifestyle brand in terms of the girl that shops at Favorite Daughter. We want to give. We want to sort of like create all the things around her and in a really mindful way. So we're coming out with a clean fragrance. I'm very obsessed with non-toxic living. I don't want to create anything that I wouldn't want around me or my family. And um, so we're going slowly and, and just sort of giving that girl... Um, but I think that it works. That I think, look, it's working. I'm going to be honest. Like we've, we've discussed it, right? Mm-hmm. It's a profitable business year three. And we all know that's hard to do. It's really yeah. hard to do. Very impressive. Yeah. They, thank you. And, you know, I, well, I guess your ego is not as low as you thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in my instinct when people ask me, right, when people are like, oh, how's Favorite Daughter doing? How's, you know, how's the Netflix show doing? I'm always like, oh, it's it's okay. My instinct is to always be be small because I'm nervous that someone might think that, right? Like, oh, well, she's really full of herself. So I always, I always, for the first two years of the business, I'd be like, it's doing okay. You know? And finally now I'm like, no, it's doing really well. And I'm really proud of it. Can you talk a bit? I mean, we've got a lot of tech and business people here. Like what have you guys made work? I know you've done some different things that people said were crazy with regards to wholesale and I also think the secret to any business working is you being the customer. And that's really what we are, is like we really think of what we want and what we want to see and what price point we want to see. And Sarah and I have run in a circle of girls for a long time that are high fashion girls. They're spending $1,200 on a freaking anything, right? They're spending $3,000 on a bag. We don't do that. We just have never been high fashion girls. And so we were always going to events like this and being sort of intimidated because we weren't wearing the Roe or Kate and wondering what we can wear and have somebody like ask us, you know, what we're wearing because they think it's cute. And it turns out that is who our customer is. Mm. Our customer is a girl who wants to go out and be proud of what she's wearing and wear something cool and trendy and unique that doesn't, she doesn't want to pay more than $300 for it. And she wants her friends to covet it. But I think this is an interesting area here because we, we see a lot of influencers, celebrities starting brands. Some of them work, some of them fail, right? So I most think most of them fail. Most of them fail. I think if you look I think at that's what she was, that's what she was implying. Yeah. 
Right. Most of most of them do. But if you look at like look at Kim, right? Look at Kim with Skims. Skims is beyond any of our comprehension. I mean, this is a business that will IPO probably at you know an eight billion dollar market cap. I have no idea. But it's killing because she wears skims, right? That is her. She she wears the clothes. Now, her skincare, I don't know if the skincare is doing well because the consumer, I think, is like, really, is Kim wearing the skin, using the skincare? I don't know. But the, everyone knows she is wearing those clothes. Is and that I think why you're constantly posting about favorite daughter clothes? 100. Yes. No, yeah. l- listen. <laughs> it, it really is. Yeah, of course. If we're not, if we're not actively out there, that we, we see it in the sales. I mean, mm-hmm. we see if we're not actively talking about it, doing live streams, uh, gifting to people, having them post, we see it in our sales. there are people who have started brands that are affordable, but they don't wear affordable exactly. brands. They wear really expensive brands. And so I think yeah. that, you know, we're all the, we are, we are the customers and we're not stupid. You see something and you're just like, this feels incongruent. There's something like inauthentic about this. And I really think that everything comes back to We're both in head to toe favorite daughter. Yeah, we wear that. That's not ours, actually. Oh, this is skin. <laughs> but everything else is favorite daughter. I knew. This is favorite daughter. I knew this you were wearing skin. But do you know that? And then I want to talk about the world of investing, where you guys are also making a splash. But um, how do you think about it? There are a lot of people in this audience and founders who feel the weight of being the brand of their, you know, no one else sitting on this stage, I'm sure. But, right, like, how do you think about that, both in terms of, the near-term work required and also like the longevity of the Well, there's a reason why we called it favorite daughter and not Aaron and Sarah Foster, right? I think Aaron and Sarah Foster would not, we would not be sitting here if we started a brand called Aaron and Sarah Foster. I think favorite daughter, it transcends us. We're not A-list people, you know? I mean, I think favorite daughter resonates with everybody. You walk down the street, you see somebody wearing favorite daughter, they stop you on the street because we can all, we we can all relate to favorite daughter. Most women can relate to that. So there is a lot of pressure. You know, there is because we're, it's a totally different time than when you could start a business 30 years ago and not feel pressured to be front facing. And it is pressure feeling that, you know, when sales dip for two days, we get text saying you need to be posting, yeah. right? Because then they jump back up again. And so it's tricky. Like we're, this is a very complicated time in the world right now. Absolutely. We don't want to be posting our sweaters necessarily. That's insensitive. Um, but then that's our business. So when's the appropriate time to do it? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that um, there, there is a lot of pressure and I don't know if it's making businesses better. Getting more content doesn't mean you're getting better products. You're just getting more of something. And I don't want to be in the business of giving people more. I want to be in the business of giving people what they want and what they need and not a little bit more. And that's kind of impossible to do right now. Yeah. But Jessica, don't you think the the consumer is smarter? I mean, it used to be if an A-list person or somebody with a huge following posted your goods, you would see, right? You would see the uptick. Your Shopify would be doing this. I think it's shifted. I think... The, the gifting thing isn't moving the needle for consumer brands the way that we have. I think there was sort of like a backlash on it. It was this thing, right? Gifting and the unboxing and all of that. And brands were really, really utilizing that tool to move product. But I think the consumer got sick of it. Mm. The consumer is like, we don't want to watch you unbox. We're not, you know, we're <laughs> it's not. It's so boring. It's so boring. And yeah, the gifting, really and it just, it and just it's began. Like, and no one sends me shit. So like, why <laughs> right. do I well, care we, if they we, send you? We will now. No, we no, you now. guys do. <laughs> but it goes, it's so much more than posting. I mean, not yeah. to sit here and tell you about, you know, being the, the, in the trenches from the very beginning and all the things we did, but we went to colleges. We thought, okay, what is a cool partnership to do? Which partnerships is a huge you know, tool in this business. And we aligned with the graduate hotels. We went to the graduate hotel, their hotel 
hotels and they're within, what is it, like a two-mile radius of every major university. Hmm. So we called them, we had a relationship with them, and we said, we want to do trunk shows at a few of your graduates to introduce the, the customer to favorite daughter. So we went to all these hotels. We went to Mississippi. We, we went to Michigan. We, we passed wow. out flyers. We walked around colleges or to the point where my dad was calling us going, people are, that video you just posted of you accosting people on the street, <laughs> people are going to think that's real. I'm like, it is real. Like, that's, what, that's what we're doing. We're literally passing out flyers. Come, I mean, come. That's, but that's the fun part. Yeah. Yeah. So what about podcasting? And, and also I can tell you media, like in subscription business journalism times are good, but it is a tough industry and podcasting. I mean, I have friends who run media organizations who say I've got 19 podcasts and 18 lose a ton of money. So how are you thinking about it? I, I think there's not always a way to put your finger on why something great fails and why something mediocre succeeds or why something that is in the mix with 50 others just rises to the top. You know, we're lucky that our podcast still has listeners. Um, maybe that won't be the case in a year or two years, but at the end of the day, the podcast is a light lift. It is. It's fun for us. We enjoy it. We learn from it. We can do it from home. You can sit there and you use your computer. I can do it when I'm traveling and bring a little microphone with me. It's not the heaviest lift and it's something that we enjoy. So to me, I don't know why it's working. I don't know if that will continue, but our heart is in it. We like it. We, we think about what we would want to hear, what conversations we would want to hear. And there, we were nervous to do a podcast just because there's so many out there. And it's, it's like, you don't want to be the last to join something. And we were literally the last, we were literally the last people to have a podcast. I don't think that's And true. so it's, I think it's just one of those things where you just say yes, and maybe it doesn't work. And maybe it doesn't. All the things that you're talking about are the things that we've done that work, mm -hmm. but we've done plenty of things that didn't work. Mm -hmm. Let's and, talk about this. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, listen, for, for Aaron and I, we sit here, I, I, in my mind, I was an actress. That's what I was in my 20s up until my early 30s. And when our television show got canceled, I thought my life is over. Like, I'm a loser. I thought I was going to be Cameron Diaz. That really did not happen. No, I, she did not become Cameron Diaz. No, I did, uh, I, I did not. Something else. But I couldn't have Sarah. imagined. What? You became Sarah. I became, yeah, I became Sarah. But I couldn't have imagined ever there being a day where I would be okay not trying to be an actress anymore. I really didn't. And it's just been it's been a long freaking grind and yeah. it's, and it's, and it's still a grind. And the thing about the podcast is we, we truly always think like, are people going to show up? Are people going to listen? Do people care? And the podcast really has been amazing for business. It's amazing for, um, founders of our portfolio companies. It's amazing for favorite daughter. It's amazing. We're having, I think why it works is because we really mix up Solo episodes, you're a listener, you know, yeah, where Aaron and I, where you feel like you're on the sofa with us and you're just talking to... Where we fight. We do fight. Um, but we're also, Aaron and I are quite different. So we bring different perspectives, I think, to the podcast. So we, we have the solo episodes with us, but then we really try to bring experts that are not oversaturated in the, the podcast yeah. space, right? There's, there's all the people no, who do the podcast We try to pick rounds. the people that are like on press tours that are on every podcast. We try to discover, you know. Because you've seen, you've just already yeah. heard those conversations. Yeah. Do you get pressure to like build a podcast empire or bundle with other podcasts yes. or, yeah. How yeah, you... sometimes, but you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's better to do 10 things sort of at 10%, right? Mm -hmm. Ominous. Very ominous. Yeah. But talking about failures, you know, I mean, we're sitting here and it's so cool to be on a stage like this and having this conversation with women here. And, you know, I'm 41 years old. I am 
thought I would be here kind of at a different stage of my life, right? Like I thought when I was 30, I was going to be this fully formed adult and I was going to be having all these things come true. And when I was 30, I had like gotten fired from my first big writing job on a TV show. I'd just gotten dumped by my boyfriend, who I thought I was going to marry, but I'm really glad I didn't. Um, he's a sociopath. I just want to be clear about that. Um, and I really felt like, holy shit, what do I do? I just turned 30, and it's all supposed to be happening, and it, none of it's happening. And it took a really long time. Um, it felt like it took a long time to get here. And to sitting here today, it feels so good, but looking back, if I had known it was going to take 10 years mm. to sit here, I would have been devastated by that. And I, we have a niece who moved to L.A. recently to be a writer. And she had all these ideas in her mind of, like, she's going to basically, like, at LAX, someone was going to, like, offer yeah. her her own She's show. like, I'll write on your show, right? Aaron's like, no, you will not. <laughs> and she said to me recently, because she's been living here for a year now, or in L.A., and she was like, I was so naive when I moved here. I thought that everything was going to happen. And like, and then I look at you and like, you're like 40 years old and like your life is just starting. And I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, you just got your first show made. I was like, mm-hmm. Well, you're like, I've written eight pilots. I've written eight But shows. listen, those pilots yeah. didn't go. You know, yeah. you spend a lot of time writing things and, and it's so weird. You can make a real career out of being a TV writer without anything ever airing because yeah. they pay you to write it. They just don't ever pay you again. And and so being at a place now where I'm going to have my own TV show on the air, I just would have been so sad if I knew it was going to take till now. But now that I'm sitting here, it feels like the perfect time. Yeah. Well, tell people about your show. And then also it's like been a crazy time in Hollywood, obviously with the strike. Like what's yeah. your view of where things are and what's going to happen? Um, okay. So I, we have a show. Sarah and I produced it together. I wrote this show called Shiksa. The name is probably not going to end up staying. But how good is that name? Yeah. Shiksa. It's so good. Um, I converted to Judaism when I got married and and so uh, I sold a show that Kristen Bell is going to play me and Adam Brody is playing my husband. But it's as if my husband was a rabbi and um, like a young, cute rabbi uh, <laughs> who meets a shiksa and they fall in love. And it's like a cute, a cute rom-com. Um, the strike was, it went on for a pretty long time. <laughs> Listen, I went to Paris during the strike. <laughs> Um, we went to Austria. I, I worked a little bit and had a great summer, and I'm just really happy to be back at work. Do you think Hollywood will be changed by this? I mean, I guess the issues at the core of the strike, obviously the economics of streaming, AI, like does it feel like the industry isn't starting to sort that out or things yeah, as I messy mean, as ever? At least but I don't writers... think it's ever going to change that people crave good TV and good storytelling. No, but I, for the, like, in terms of the strike and stuff, like, the writers that are working for me, they feel very good about the deal. Hmm. And I think that, you know, writers have always felt really beholden to studios and networks, and it feels like the networks and studios are not happy about where we landed, and the writers are happy, and I think hmm. that's a good thing, hmm. you know? I think yeah. that we should be happy. Like, they're, they're doing really well. Um, and so I think that anyone getting their power back. You know, the writers didn't take advantage at all. Uh, we write on shows that are streaming that make networks tons, tremendous amounts of money and you have no ownership in it. And it's just not right. So I'm really happy with where, where it ended up. Awesome. Okay, so in our remaining minutes, you do all of that and you decide to become venture capitalists. Well, <laughs> why? How's it going? I'm sure there's an opportunity. That Listen, I'm going to be really honest. If I, 
If I could choose, I'd be an angel investor. I'd have tons of capital and I would just write, write checks and I wouldn't have to answer to LPs and I wouldn't have to write all those long ass updates. Um, let me tell you, those updates kill me. I'm writing one right now. Um, Chat GPT can but, do that. Wait, but can, no, no, no. I tried to, I was giving someone an award recently and I used Chat GPT and it, did, it was not good. Yeah. So I don't recommend that. Um, but so truly we raised money out of, we had a problem, right? We were getting really incredible allocations into really great deals and we didn't have the money. So because of Bumble was loud, right? People felt like, oh, here are these girls. Whitney has hired them. They're helping, you know, launch the BFF and biz arm of the, of the app. They're out there. So then from there, we just started getting tons of deal flow, right? We got Mirror, which was also very awesome. visible. So those are all the ones that worked, right? Those were, and then there were tons that didn't. Um, so we started, you know, writing, writing angel checks and it was great and fun. And, but then we just started going like, shit, we are leaving so much on the table. We're having to say no to, um, to these cap tables. And it sucked. We we're like, we, we need to raise money, but we were like, look, let's be, let's, let's not be crazy here. Let's raise a little bit, not a lot. Um, we don't want to lead rounds. We really want to be a cool co-investor of choice for people. Um, no, it's a small fund. And it's honestly, a, yeah. it's the same How big philosophy. Is the fund? Or do you guys say? Uh, are we allowed to say that? I don't even of know. You can say it. It's ten million. Oh yeah, it's ten million. We raised ten million. Yeah, and we, you so know, so it's and- a small fund, and we really use the same philosophy in the fund that we do with anything that we do, which is not intentional. It's just the only thing we know how to do because we didn't go to business school, so we don't know exactly how to go about this other than be the customer. We only invest in something that we really can see and understand. We can see our friends using. We understand the marketplace for that product. Um, if it's something that is above our heads or is something that's meant for somebody else, then there's no point in us investing in it. And it's all still very new. You know, we're only There's also a lot of FOMO, right? It. Wouldn't you say? There's a lot of FOMO in venture. I say we see uh, deals and we're like, oh, like this person invested. Oh, this is, this founder did this. And we have to be really, really clear to our thesis. We have to stick strong to our thesis. And so far it's working. But there's a, there's another component to this, which is we're not doing this alone. I think looking at all the things that we've done right, not the things we've done wrong, but the things we've done right, is when we have um, associate ourselves with people much smarter than us. Favorite Daughter is a joint venture. Aaron and I did not raise money. We did not put a dollar into this company. Mm-hmm. We are not, if, if, if we raise money for Favorite Daughter, we would be, it wouldn't exist. No. So we are in a joint venture with a company that knows supply chain, that has all the relationships, that is going to India and China and Mexico, and they're they're doing it and they're earning their... And they own 50% of the company. Absolutely. And so everybody told us that was a terrible Everyone told idea. us not to do that. They said, raise money, don't give away own 50% of the business. Yes. Oh, by the way, we didn't want to own the whole thing because then we own all of the responsibility. We are not looking for that. We need a partner that knows how to run the business. But everybody told us not to do that. Mm. So I think... The message there for us is just sort of, if you're getting into a lane that you don't fully understand, then I don't think you're doing yourself a service to pretend that you know how to be in that lane by yourself. We have really helpful partners in our fund. We have a partner, Phil Schwartz, and he has funds on his own, and he has taught us so much. And so we always really try to align ourselves with people that can teach us. Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay. I have a couple more questions, but I want to see if we can get some from you guys quickly. Um, if we can get a mic, does anyone? Okay, we'll get some mics. Uh, okay. Hi guys, I feel like I'm turning. I'm looking okay. at them, but there's all these like beautiful time, ladies over here. I think we had someone on the end, and then maybe one two. Is this working? Yes. Yes. 
Thank you, ladies, for being here so much. And thank you, Jessica, for bringing them on stage. My question is, I loved what you said, being so vulnerable about when you were first pitching investors yourselves and not knowing how to answer the questions they were asking, kind of making it up, which I think we've all been there. Um, now that you're on the other side of it, what are your questions or like, what's your number one question to your investors or to the- You mean to our, to the investors in our fund or to founders founders. that we're talking to? To founders that you're talking to, to invest in, like, what are you asking them and how are you asking it so that you get to that next level? Look, I don't know if this is, I don't, you guys know more than me, you know, but I'm always, um, maybe you're going to disagree with this. I'm actually curious how you guys feel when I'm speaking to founders and when they're pitching, when they are kind of um, not clear about the roadmap, right? I get it when you're, when, but when they're not fully clear, when I find them asking me questions like, well, what would you do? Well, wait, that, scare, that scares me. I'm always very... You want, you want a for, plan. For me, and maybe that's not the right way to look at it, but mm-hmm. that for me is always a little bit of a red flag. I really, I really connect to founders who their roadmap is clear. Mm-hmm. I think it's not a question, but there's something that I've noticed with certain founders that are, is a turnoff to me. Um, and, I, and I really noticed this when I worked with Whitney Wolf because she taught us the right way to do it. And she just sort of taught by example. Um, Whitney was always in the business of Bumble. She was not in the Whitney business. She was in the Bumble business. That was what she... Bl- she would force us to go to her photo shoots. She would be like, I'm supposed to do the cover of this thing. I don't want to do it. You guys go do it. So sometimes like, we meet with founders and you can see that they're thinking about their Forbes cover mm. instead of thinking about their business. Mm. And that is a huge, huge red flag to me because you can't be in the you business. You have to be in the in the business of your product, and you really can feel the difference because now female founders are very like fun to to watch their rise, and they get energy and attention, and that's amazing. But sometimes it's a huge distraction, mm. and so you can see when someone is sort of thinking about themselves, and I, and and it's usually at the detriment of the business. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, let's get two more. We had one here, and I think one of one here. One right here. Oh, great. So I love what you said about saying yes to things where you don't know fully, you can't imagine where the path is going to take you, yeah. because it'll take you somewhere exciting. Um, are there guidelines that you have for what you'll say no to in order to kind of be able to take the risks of those kinds. Well, Aaron's our ethics police over here. She's always <laughs> like, is it bad for the environment? Are there, is it off-gassing at all? And I'm like, Aaron, don't worry about it. You know? um, Let's just say Sarah has no moral code and I have one. <laughs> so it's good to have both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a great team. Yeah. But I, I mean, I don't know if you were about to answer, but I really think it comes down to a gut instinct, you know? And I really think... I know that there are things that get brought to our attention and I know that it would compromise other things that we have going. I know it would be irresponsible to say yes because I wouldn't be able to give it the time and energy that it deserves. And that's a definite no. Um, So I would say not thinking of people pleasing and not thinking of saying yes because you think you should say yes, but saying yes to something that feels like scary and outside of your comfort zone, but probably something that you'll grow from. Those are the yeses. Great. Okay, last question over here. Thanks. All right. Um, so the older I get and the more senior I get in my career, the more I value working with great people. And the more I just want to say, fuck it, I want to work with my friends. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd love to hear what it's really like to work with your sister. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're implying that we're friends. <laughs> exactly. It, no, no. If 
we were friends, the, the, the thing about the reason why this works is because she's obsessed with my kids. That's so true. we will get into the biggest fights. We disagree about everything, by the way. And then, but she wants to still see my kids. I'll hold my kids from her, you know, until she grovels. I'm like, okay, really, you don't want to apologize? We're not going to see the kids for a week. <laughs> and so well, we'll have some big fight. And then I'm like, fuck, I really want to come over for dinner tonight. So <laughs> I'll try to like work around. And now her 12 year old has a phone. So I can sometimes go around. So they're like, what are you doing here? Um, I mean, listen, if you have siblings, then you know what it's like. It's hard. Oh it God. is hard. You know, Sarah and I, we, we say that we had two totally different childhoods and we grew up in the exact same house. And totally. we have had so many blowout arguments because we think that the, each other, we're both like pathological liars <laughs> because we had such different experiences in the same household. And it's taken a lot of growing up and a lot of therapy and a lot of crying conversations to understand that we just have different perspectives. You know, you sit in the same room and have the same conversation, but you hear two totally different things. And so it's taken a long time for us to respect that the other person is just coming from a different place and they're not looking to ruin our lives, but they're looking, you know, the person is looking to be heard and seen. And that's something that it's taught us really life lessons because when you disagree with someone, um, there are so many ways to make them understand you feel differently. You can be like, are you a fucking idiot? Why would you choose that color? That's the ugliest color. That's how Sarah talks. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. I didn't or, see it going there. <laughs> oh my God. Or are you like, try to ask questions and you, it's like going to couples therapy. We have to learn how to talk to each other in a way that makes this function. But I think in a normal working environment, you, you don't say everything you're thinking, right? Mm -hmm. it, of course, that's you. If, if we did that, that there would be problems, would, yeah, but when you're sisters, you do. So that's the, that's the thing. And that's what we've had to really work hard on because we are partners in so many different ventures. We can't act like that. Yeah. And it's taken, it's, it's been a long road but for us to... But I also say that my friendships that I feel the safest in are the ones with people who are really direct because you don't have to spiral and wonder if they're mad at you. You know if they're mad at you. You don't have to wonder if they're upset about something or you didn't show up. They're going to say yeah. to you, I'm really annoyed that you came late to my birthday. Mm. And that feels safe to me because then at least you can have the argument that you need to have. At least you know exactly where you stand. I know today all of Sarah's issues with me, all the things that she's proud of, all the things she wish I did differently. And so you kind of come there every day with like a clean slate and and it, it honestly has reminded me how important that is in female friendships is you're giving someone a gift by being direct with each other. Mm. When you, when you have to wonder, and you know, as women, like, unfortunately we do, we wonder if someone's mad at us all the time. We wonder if we misstepped and it like changed how someone felt about us. And so I never want to pass on any deals. I'm always like, whenever I want, I'm going to pass on a deal. I'm like going, I'm like doing, you know, word gymnastics without just saying like, thank you so much. This isn't right for us, but I'm happy to intro you to blah, blah, blah. I literally do word gymnastics to avoid saying this isn't right We're for us, which is yeah. so crazy. And I don't, I think, is that like a, but Aaron's very direct. Mm -hmm. Aaron will write emails to founders. I'm like, Aaron, you cannot send that. <laughs> that person founded Pandora, you know, whatever. Like you cannot send I that email. I don't know the founder of and Pandora. I don't know that. I'm just saying, <laughs> not, not that. But I'm just saying, and Aaron's like, no, no, this well, is the right thing to do. It's, it's, it's honest feedback. It's, it's the right feedback. I'm like, you cannot send that email. She's like, well, I already sent it. I'm like, so oh my God. What's next? What's going to be, if you're going to be sitting here two years from now, what's, what's going to be? Well, different? listen, I think, you know, Aaron and I really uh, divide and conquer because being a creator of a Netflix show is all hands on deck. So Erin is the creator of a Netflix show. She's the, you know, 
partner at the fund, the podcast, favorite daughter, all the things, but she needs to be full-time Netflix. Like that is, she has to be in the writers. I mean, we, we didn't even prep for this. We're the only idiots here that didn't prep for our, our, we had a few texts, our conversation because she was, she was in the writer's room up until six o'clock till she got here. So, and it's actually really great because I, I really can't focus on a lot of other things right now and I can't be in our fittings and I can't be on a lot of our fun calls um, because I really do have to be in the writer's room. And it's really great because Sarah, it's like the one thing she doesn't get resentful of me for. She no. really is willing to take it all on and like hold up that end because we're, we're in it together and she totally gets that. So, but to answer your question, yeah, I so guess. Two years. Two years or one year? a big hit. Two. <laughs> Two years. Give you guys twenty-four months. Listen, two years. I think for favorite daughter, I think we'd love to go into other categories. I think we want to go into men's. I think kids sucks. The margin is like same brand in other men's. Well, we in men's. We yes. I think it would be called something different, maybe like FD men or something. But we really want to give the girl who who's our customer help her shop for her husband, brother, dad, boyfriend. You know, the one who broke up with her, and that's why she. Yeah, yeah, we're upset. She's buying him clothes, but it's fine. They get back together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, we just hope that this ecosystem that really feeds each other, which it does, by the way, we haven't really talked about it. The ecosystem that we have, the podcast, the fashion brand, the fund, the shows. They all really feed each other. They all help us source deal flow. They all help us give founders a voice. They help give us a voice. They help us meet, you know, introduce ourselves to, to new favorite daughter customers. It really all feeds each other. So when we were raising this fund, we were really thinking we were going to get the, the, the question of like, are you full time? Are you full time? Like, is it, you know, and people got it, which was really interesting. People really respected that you're only as good as the, the deals you're seeing, right? So um, I guess two years, hopefully the Netflix show is still happening well, and maybe we're on guys, fun two or fun three. I and, think you guys are ahead on a lot of curves in terms of where all these things are going. And I also just think you got the your stories about the hustle and how you've approached it and um, not saying, not giving in when people tell you it won't work. Pretty inspirational. So thank I'm you. sure we'll all be watching what's next. And thank you guys for being thank here. You. Thank, thank you so you. much for having us guys. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a virtual high five by rating it and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Find more information about each episode in the show notes and follow us on social media by searching for at more or less at Dave Morin at Lesson, at J Lesson, and as for me, I'm at Brit. See you guys next time.